0: Welcome to the Exploring Unschooling Podcast. For countless parents, the journey to unschooling has redefined childhood and transformed their family relationships. Are you curious? Together, let's explore what living and learning looks like without school. Hello, Explorers. I'm Pamela Ricchia, and it's the 14th of September, 2022, as I record this intro. And this week, we're flashing back to episode 111. 10 Questions with Jan Fortune from 2018. Jan home-educated her four children in the UK and wrote many articles and five books on unschooling and parenting. Her book, Winning Parent, Winning Child, focuses on living with children in ways that respect their autonomy. In our conversation, Jan shares some of her thoughts about autonomous learning and the important role of trust in unschooling. She describes how consent-based parenting is not about martyrdom, but problem-solving and time spent communicating. I really enjoyed revisiting this wonderful conversation, which is full of inspiring gems. I hope you enjoy it. But before we dive in, I want to take a moment to thank everyone who has chosen to support the podcast through Patreon. I deeply appreciate all my patrons. Your generous support is instrumental in keeping the podcast archive freely available to anyone who's curious and wants to explore the fascinating world of unschooling. If you'd like to join my community of patrons and scoop up some great rewards along the way, check out the Exploring Unschooling page at patreon.com. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n.com forward slash exploring unschooling. And now, let's dive into my conversation with Jan. Jan. Hi, everyone. I'm Pam LaRicchia from LivingJoyfully.ca, and today I'm here with Jan Fortune. Hi, Jan. Hi. Hi. Now, just a bit of introduction for anyone who hasn't come across Jan's work yet. She studied theology and did her PhD in feminist theology back when it was an emerging area. She home-educated her four now-adult children in the UK and over the years has written many articles and five books on home education and parenting. Her last book on the topic, Winning Parent, Winning Child, focuses on living with children in ways that respect their autonomy Jan is also a novelist poet and editor and runs cinnamon press now in its 12th year and I have been enjoying her recent articles on medium yay <laughs> <Thank you. laughs> so I have 10 questions for you Jan let's dive in first off Brilliant. can you share with us a bit about you and your family
1: well as you say they're now all grown up so my children are now age 23. To 31, which feels quite extraordinary. <laughs> it was, um, home educated right throughout. Uh, my oldest son now lives in London with his wife, who's from Alberta. Um, he completed a PhD in writing last year and is running an editing consultancy. Uh, my older daughter's a pediatric nurse currently on maternity leave, so she's just starting her own adventure in <laughs> autonomous parenting. And um my two younger children are both at university doing masters degrees. Oddly, both at the same university, so they're able to share a house. Uh, Cotia in in fine art and textiles, and Seth is again doing a a writing masters. Though he did film for his first degree, so he's kind of got a mixed bag going on there. Um, so yeah, they they've kind of got through those years and are still learning. <laughs> Surprise. <laughs> That's wonderful.
0: Now, can you uh, share with us a little bit about what your family's move to unschooling looked like way back then?
1: Yeah, I mean, I was. it's really interesting to think that far back when you sent me that question. Uh, because when we began, we really only had a kind of school model in our heads. So we immediately rushed out and bought, you know, half the textbooks in the country and tried to timetable our lives. And then, it became very, very apparent quickly with three children at that stage who are aged one to five that that home doesn't really look like a classroom and and home doesn't function like that at all. It's not that kind of environment. Um, So the first thing, I think, was just relaxing and just giving ourselves some time and starting to do some reading. People like John Holt and John Taylor Cato were quite important. Um, And then we just kind of felt for quite a while – that we were making it up as we went along and we were a bit uncertain because we were living in an area with very few other home educators. So we, we were kind of very alone. Um, but by the time the youngest was born, we'd moved to a new city. There was a lot more internet support. There were a lot more people around in that area. And and we realized that what we were doing was, was beginning to look like what other people were calling unschooling. So it was really just a a matter of kind of groping in the dark I think but but also challenging those models of we have to do school at home
0: well that's brilliant I love hearing how that how originally it was we're just gonna figure out what works for us right and and then then discovering that there was some other people doing it that's so interesting yeah Yeah. Um, Uh, it might have a name after all (laughs) yeah (laughs) Well, one of the first really big paradigm shifts that happens as we move to unschooling, I think, is from that conventional idea that childhood is a preparation for life in the adult world to the idea that a child's present life is intrinsically valuable and important. And yet, almost paradoxically, focusing on living well in the present moment, as you were talking about, and just solving today's problems as they show up, ends up being a great
1: way to prepare for life as an adult, doesn't it? Absolutely. And I think, you know, it's, it's ma- magnificent once you realize that that remains true throughout life. Living well now is the best preparation for the future. Um, and I think the whole notion of childhood as a training ground is so flawed. It assumes that children aren't really quite fully autonomous human beings. They're, they're a kind of raw material that we've given to shape. Um, they, obviously, children have lost less experience in the world, but they're not less human or less creative. And I think seeing them as that kind of raw material that we have to shape is quite damaging. So, yeah, absolutely living in the moment really cracks that open and that's something that's really hard to do at least i
0: found at first because yeah because we grew up right being so focused on i have to achieve this i have to get there we're we're never like we're always reaching for something right so we don't practice appreciating the moment do we
1: and we feel responsible, obviously, you know, uh, as responsible parents, we don't want to be letting our children down. So if we see all these other parents who are kind of, you know, got this, this goal oriented, um, very future oriented mindset, mm-hmm. you, it's very easy to kind of fall into keeping up with that. So, yeah, living, living well now, I think you have to remind yourself all the time. Probably should write it down several times a day. <laughs> <laughs> it's true, right? And then that's something
0: that you learn. You have to do it for a while, right, yeah. and gain experience and realize that, you know, when when you look back, it's it's really something you need to look back on for a bit and to realize yeah. just how that approaching life day to day that way actually gave us, like, so much knowledge and skills that are now available to us now, in the moment, it, it, that's in the future, yeah. but is I mean, now the moment. It's, it's amazing.
1: Easy. Yeah, I mean, it, you can't keep taking its temperature, can you? Because yeah. you can look back, and but um, but if you, you're trying to check it moment by moment, you can't see it. Yeah, um, so there's a lot of trust involved. That's brilliant.
0: Yeah. So in an article you wrote for Life Learning magazine, you dove into the building blocks of an autonomous or unschooling learning environment. Autonomous learning is um more often the term in the UK, isn't it? In Yeah, I think yeah. so. Yeah. Yeah. I love the point you made in the article about how this lifestyle transcends boundaries and not just mm. academic subjects, right? But getting to the place where there are essentially no boundaries between learning and living. I love that. And yeah. can, I was hoping you could share some of the boundaries that melted away for you. Because, again, it's that level of trust, that trust that we were talking about before, isn't it?
1: Absolutely. I think Ian, that's absolutely pinpointed it. Trust is key. And once we stop viewing our children as buckets into which we can pour knowledge, they become trusted to be active learners. Um, And at any one time, a child's going to have her own interests and she knows what she needs to address. And they might be questions about information. They might look like traditional learning or they might be about how she shapes her day, how to spend time, how to be a certain sort of person. All of it becomes learning. And a lot of it doesn't look like what we think of as education. So that trust becomes really pivotal. Um, if we believe learning is about everything we do, then it's impossible to conceive of your children as not learning. Of course they're learning. And I think for me, a key boundary that melts away is around, you know, what I might call educational products that people outside and in schooling environment often think children should be amassing, filled in textbooks, reports, essays. But when education and life become integrated, a lot of education isn't visible. It takes place by visiting somewhere. It takes place in a conversation. It takes place in a supermarket checkout. You don't have a kind of record of it that you can physically pick up. Some of it might be sitting in a tree, gazing at the stars or paddling in a stream but everything you do becomes educational, not in that kind of forced sense of being milked for its value, but simply because you realize the main thing is to get on with life and solve that day's problems on their own terms. And I think as that builds up year by year, um, life looks very uneducational. And, you know, we would have moments when you'd hold your breath and think, you know, are we kidding ourselves? Is there going to be, are they going to be okay? But clearly they are you know it, 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 <laughs> evolving life looks much better than keeping textbooks <laughs> it's so true I know the, those moments that you're like
0: what on <laughs> earth <laughs> <laughs> because like, you know what you're having fun like, right,
1: right? <laughs> <laughs> um, but, you know the more those boundaries kind of melt actually I think the deeper the process becomes and I think that's why I feel I now live with, I mean, my children are all left home, but live within the broader sense, young adults mm-hmm. who will always be lifelong learners, um, because they don't have those kind of little pigeonholes to put education into. And I think something that
0: was brilliant for me talking about boundaries was it, it broke a boundary between me and as me as an adult and my children mm-hmm. as children, when yeah. I realized all the you know, when my definition of learning expanded to be life and I realized I was always learning, all of a sudden yeah. I realized I wasn't like done as an adult. I wasn't
1: supposed to know everything. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. And, and that me it makes you kind of more respectful of them as well, I think, because you're all just a bunch of creative people in it together and you have things to teach each other. And, you know, children may have less experience, but they often have a much more refreshing perspective online. So, yeah, we're all just in it together and learning.
0: Yeah, I love that refreshing perspective. It's so true Mm -hmm. and and so creative. You know, sometimes we worry, you know, if, if something comes up today and we're chatting with our kids about it and trying to brainstorm ideas at first to open it up to that conversation with our kids can be scary because we're worried, Oh, we're going to have to do something totally outside my comfort zone that I think yeah. will be ridiculous. <laughs> but man, no, they bring yeah. such intelligence and creativity to the conversation. Don't they And fun? <laughs> of course there's a the ridiculous things too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So uh, I was wondering what did you end up finding to be the most challenging aspect of moving to unschooling.
1: I think at the beginning it is that fear, that kind of nobody else is doing this. Um, Am I just lazy or stupid? Am I letting them down? Am I going to miss some essential skill or fact that they need in life by kind of just, you know, winging it and doing it on the hoof? Um, But actually, I think over time begin to realize that whatever model of of education you're using, something's going to get missed out. It doesn't matter how academic or rigorous it is. Nobody can cover every topic known to humanity. So you begin to relax and kind of think, actually, let's just develop skills. Let's just develop a love of learning. Uh, let's just provide a rich environment with conversation and films and nature and books and art materials and, you know, whatever it is, and just take that pressure off ticking the box Um I think once we we're over that initial thing, the biggest challenge probably became just keeping up with them, because four children with all of that would <laughs> like, you know, can I just kind of run with, keep running and keep running with this?" And, and, and also, you know, parents have to find various ways of making a living and holding body and soul together. So just that sheer juggling um, aspect. But again, all parents have that. You know, there isn't really an easy form of parenting. It's just the choices that we make, and um you know, I felt this was a good choice, but yeah, getting over the fear and not getting overwhelmed, I think are the the biggest challenges I really love
0: that and and it turns out it comes too, like you were saying, all parents have this it it
1: unschooling yeah. challenges just are really life challenges, aren't they? just Absolutely. living together, yeah, I mean I can remember one day somebody saying to me after I'd spent a long time with my children. Um, negotiating a decision that they needed to make, and they said, "Well, wh- why did you spend all that time? You could have just imposed. You know, you could have just solved that in five minutes. Told them this is what you're going to do. Get on with it." And I said, "Well, and when you do that with your children, um, what happens? Well, they might have a tantrum. They might- And so, so you pour your emotional energy into an hour of a child being hurt and upset and feeling dismissed." And you think that it's a bad idea for me to pour my energy into an hour of everybody winning. It's like you're going to use the energy. Why not use it creatively Um, instead of destructively? All parenting takes a lot of energy. And I think if you agree with your children together to use that well, you you know, I think the benefits are fantastic. Oh,
0: that's such a great point. I love the way you brought those two things together. And it leads us so nicely to the next question. In your book, which I loved, Winning Parent, Winning Child, you make a great point about how consent-based parenting is not a call for parental self-surrender or martyrdom. Rather, it's a call for engagement with our children. And that was just a great example of of the value we get from engaging with our children, right? (laughs) So you talk about how there may be times when a mutual solution escapes us and we choose to put our children first. But that's not ideal. Uh, So even though sacrifice is often held up as a virtue in our society, why is simply giving in not a good long-term solution either?
1: I think it's important to recognize that sometimes we fail. We don't always find solutions where, you know, we're ordinary human beings and those moments are going to happen. And when we do fail, I put the child first simply because we have such an enormous responsibility to children they're the people we chose to bring into the world Um, so there are occasions when that's going to happen but I think when we end up finding ourselves self sacrificing on a regular basis we really need to stop and check that for lots of reasons for one thing um, self sacrifice cuts creativity dead if you've spent hours trying to find a solution to no avail and you're too exhausted to keep going you sometimes need to cut your losses but If you cut your losses early in the process just to speed things up, then all you do is, you know, kind of cut into that creative energy that you might have found 10 minutes down the line, you might have come up with a great solution. So I think when we kind of get in there too fast and just shrug our shoulders and go, okay, then I give in, um, you've you've short-circuited all of that creativity. I think the other really damaging thing about self-sacrifice is it builds resentment. A person who's always giving in might seem as though they're okay about it, but over time it eeps away. And I think that poisons the atmosphere of being solution-centered and trying to be creative. And chronic self-sacrifices, um, if you've kind of experienced those in your lives, can often become quite passive-aggressive manipulators. The person who just always says, oh, I don't mind, is often saying to the group, Well, actually, I want you to guess what I'd like, um, but I'm not going to put in the energy to tell you. You have to guess and you have to get it right. They're not really being open and honest. So I think self-sacrifice when you've run out of steam is one thing. Self-sacrifice as a pattern tends to have all this kind of other emotional baggage with it. Um, So certainly don't be harsh with yourself when you have moments of failure. They're going to happen to everybody. But I think if you notice that pattern of self-sacrificing or somebody never stating their needs, it's really time to kind of dig into that and try and shift it. Because in the long term, it breeds bad feeling and it sabotages our creativity. I love that. It's such a great
0: point. Patterns are the things to watch out for, aren't they? Right. When um, because. I'm trying to remember what I was going to, I had something great, (laughs) but, um, oh, that was it. When we're, um, like you said, you know, we're talking and we're trying to figure something out and we're trying to figure something out and maybe we, you know, lose, uh, energy for for it. And we, you know, say, okay, you know what, we'll try it. We'll try it your way. Because, yeah. you, you know, why not? You haven't come up with a good enough reason not to.
1: Yeah, <laughs>
0: exactly. But when there's that pattern, and you you give up earlier and earlier with less and less effort. Yeah. Not only are you losing your creativity, you're also losing those moments to learn more about our children. And ourselves, Absolutely. aren't
1: we? Yeah, yeah. I mean, you, it just kind of it eats into all of that, really. So, yeah, um, yeah. And patterns are definitely the thing to look for. <laughs> yeah, exactly. There's just so much relationship
0: development that goes in there, and and your point before about the time that we're invest. This is what we're choosing to put our time in when we're not. Putting it into school and all those other things, we're choosing to create this kind of learning environment because learning about ourselves and learning how to um, connect with others and work through issues with others, these are all valuable and important skills that a lot of kids who spend all their time in school don't have a lot of time to develop,
1: do they? No, absolutely. I mean, they're, they're missing that. And that's what we've set this up for. So, you know, use it. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> I'd like to
0: dig into this transition to consent-based parenting a little bit more. And in the book, you wrote, uh, Consent works best when everyone in the family, adults and children alike, see themselves as free, respected people who can live the life they prefer within the family group. When... This happens. Adults and children can all be open to changing their wishes without ever fearing that it will mean doing something they really don't want (laughs) to do. (laughs) This releases an enormous flood of innovative thinking for solving problems like that creative thinking that we were just talking about. But I do think that this is something that can be so hard to envision to believe that it will actually happen until you see it in action. And I remember there were a couple of valuable mind shifts that helped me to make this shift to consent-based parenting. One was ensuring that my wishes were not about my children. Mm. (laughs) You know what? That was something that was surprisingly hard to tease out. I kind of had to empty myself out and then start adding my needs and wants back in one at a time, playing with them to see if they were really mine, not, oh, I wish my child would do this or I wish they liked this. (laughs) So, oh, yeah, the other thing, the other one was being open to changing my mind, right? Or my wishes even. And that was so much work to get deep into my own thoughts and to be okay with um, not liking what I found at first, because, you know, yeah. I'm just thinking. Uh, So it was so valuable for me to show by example that our discussion was about the ideas and our needs and to be able to say, wow, that's a great point that I didn't consider. You know, I'm more open to doing it your way. Let's see. Yeah. And then not act like I've given in when I've changed my mind. Right. There's a difference. Because oh, yeah. if. Yeah. If if you feel, if you act like you've given in, then it's kind of like now they owe you something next time. Like you were talking about that passive aggressive yes, yes. approach to it all. There's just so much wrapped up in there. Isn't there? <laughs> so I was wondering if you had some tips that you could share about this transition and how it really cracks open that creative problem solving process.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think you've highlighted those shifts really well, changing your mind because you've become open is completely different to self-sacrificing that we were just discussing. Absolutely crucial. If you see adults as the people with all the answers and the children as the ones in training, then doing that's going to feel counterintuitive. But if you shift your mindset so that you believe we're all learners. We've all got different sorts of experience, different sorts of creativity, fresh thinking. It doesn't matter where the solution to a problem comes from or whether it happened to be suggested by a two-year-old or a 35-year-old. It's just a creative solution. And part of that genuinely flexible open-mindedness has to be that we don't have preconceived ideas about what we want our children to be or to do. Your needs have to be yours, just as you were saying, and we hold those tentatively and creatively. So, you know, my need is for you to clean your room. It really misses the point. <laughs> you know, my need might be to have some clean, calm space. That's fine. And then I can invite others to help me with that rather than implicating them in what they have to do or what has to happen. Because they might not have any need at all to have a clean room. Um If your children, if you children don't feel you've already made up your mind about what the outcome has to be, if you're genuinely open minded and you treat them as people who have something to offer, then they've got nothing to lose in contributing their creativity. And once they see that this creativity is taken seriously, more and more of it's forthcoming. So I think it's about that creating of a positive spiral rather than a kind of downward slope, Um, Mm -hmm. just, you know, getting in there and being really flexible. And as you say, owning your needs as yours, and then saying, what can you know, how can we help with this? So you are asking them for help in the same way as they ask you for help, it becomes this community of creative people who are sorting out how they live together.
0: Yeah, that's such a great point. Because when you know, if it's all, all situations come up for discussion, right? You know, what the kids want to do, and we try to make that happen, and what we want to do. Yeah. Or, 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 you know, that they're all equally valuable and deserving of discussion. And the, uh, yeah, yeah. The other piece I, uh, when you were talking about cleaning, cleaning their room and and stuff like that. The other piece about being so open and us changing our minds is showing them that it's okay to change your mind. You know, over the years, my kids have enjoyed messy rooms and then they've gone through times when they really liked keeping it organized. And, and you don't want them to think, okay, this feeling about needing it, wanting it organized isn't, in reaction, like, you don't want them to ignore it, because they feel like they'd be
1: finally satisfying your need for a clean room, right? Yeah, absolutely. So it's, yeah, not setting up those, I mean, it's that kind of emotional baggage again, isn't it, that that can Mm -hmm. unwin things. And if that's not there, then people can freely move positions um, without that kind of fearfulness or feeling that they're going to be looked down on because they held a position and now they don't. We all change all the time.
0: Mm hmm. Um, Another aspect of the transition to consent based parenting that I wanted to touch on is moving beyond the conventional idea that children will tend towards bad choices if they aren't controlled. Right. (laughs) As we move to unschooling, we discover that what our children really lack is just experience Especially if we've been parenting with rules and controls for years, our children have had little experience with understanding themselves, their needs, um, how to make reasoned choices, how to move through that process. So, at first, they may behave in ways that may seem to us, at least, as irrational, right? Yet, that is still not a sufficient justification for falling back on control and compulsion, is it? There is another way that we can look at those kinds of situations.
1: Yeah, that's exactly right. If you've got years of compulsion to undo, then there's going to be some disbelief on the part of those children. um, When you say that's gone now, and there's going to be some testing out. And that can be very, very hard and very scary. But I think the thing to hold on to is every time you slide back into compulsion that trust is diminished and so you know that can create real vicious circles once you've established that trust of course you won't get it right every time but that trust will see you through so you know when when situations go wrong still you can still go this is what you know we were really intending um this is what we're now getting, you know, 60 percent of the time, 70 percent of the time we're, we're working. It's, it's growing. Um, and I think just being really open and honest with the children that this is a big change for you as well. And you're going to struggle with it. And so, you know, we, we just have to be on side with each other and have to be kind to each other. But this is the, the direction we're really going in. Um, so in the transition We need to look at what might be irrational choices as maybe just establishing that trust and then building towards creativity. And that does sometimes take a lot of holding your breath or biting your tongue and (laughs) and just kind of seeing where it leads and, and talking all the time. I mean, I think the big thing is that you're constantly conversing about this. You're constantly reassuring. You're constantly saying, oh. I got that wrong. How do we go back to the drawing board? Um, I don't understand your decision there, but it's your decision. Can you tell me more about it? And just keeping those channels as open as you possibly can. I love that. And that's the hard part, I think, especially at the
0: beginning, right? It's you're biting your tongue, yet you're having conversations. (laughs) It's a different kind of conversation now,
1: right? Totally different. Yeah, it's not a conversation about judgment anymore. Um, yeah, conversation or telling them what to I do.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's it's. I love that because when you're picking their brain, but you're right. If if you do it with whether it's that passive aggressive approach or that judgment in your voice, they can tell. And like you yeah. said, you're taking a step backwards. You're losing that piece of ground of trust that you had been gaining. So, you know, that is something you really want to watch out for. But when you start asking those questions, your child has probably not been asked those kinds of questions yeah. before, right? They've just been That's told surprising. so long. Yeah. Yeah. They're discovering so much about themselves just by even considering the question. Oh, geez, I've yeah. never wondered what I thought about that. Yeah.
1: <laughs> It opens up a very different space, I think.
0: Yeah, so much learning for everybody, isn't it? (laughs) Now, in another article that you wrote for Life Learning Magazine, which was titled, As If, on not turning our children into byproducts of our philosophy. Another article I enjoyed. I, I really enjoyed your writing, Jan. <laughs> and in this one, yes, you talk about something I think is really important, and I wanted to read another short quote. There is a temptation to want to prove that our home-educated children, and especially those who have real control over their own learning, are more successful, more polite, and let's face it, just more, than their school-going, coerced counterparts, There is a real danger of advertising our learning style and the alternative lifestyle that is often a byproduct of it by pointing to the product. Children, however, are not products. They are real, autonomous human people making their own mistakes on their own learning adventures, living out their learning for their own sakes, and not to provide examples for their mother's most recent workshop talk. <laughs> yeah, note, to self. <laughs> note to self, exactly. So even for parents who don't choose to share more publicly about their family's unschooling adventures, it's still so valuable to shift away from that conventional mindset that our children, our products turned out at the end of our job as parents. I think breaking this invisible tether between us and our children as builder and product is a crucial step in our ability to see them as separate and whole human beings. Yes. Has that been your
1: experience? Absolutely. I mean, of course, we all want the best for our children. But the temptation, I think, to over-identify with them can be quite stultifying. Um, I am not my child and my children have the right to shape their own lives. It's a privilege to support that, and to be part of the journey as far as you're wanted. Uh, but I don't author and produce any life but my own. And therefore, I shouldn't be taking credit for that. It's just a creative journey with the people I love most with the people I have responsibility for. But you know, their lives are their lives. And they they have to be allowed to make mistakes and get things wrong and see what works. And just as I do, you know, when you look back as an adult over your life, you can go, oh my goodness, what was I thinking over so many moments? And mm-hmm. yet we're often terribly worried that we should protect our child from making any mistake ever and from ever having regret. I mean, yeah, of course we want them to be happy and have the best, but it also has to be theirs. And I think... Children who don't get that sense of ownership of their own stories, I mean, I think that's often a struggle with mental health later on. So it really is important not to see your child as the product, but just autonomous, another autonomous person doing their best they can as well.
0: That was that was a huge shift for me, and it was such a nice shift in our relationship too. It it was it was releasing, yeah, for me, and yet I felt even more connected to them, <laughs> yeah, at the same time, right? Because now they're just on the journey like me, right?
1: Yeah, and they can afford to let you in when they know that because they know you're not going to take over. Mhm.
0: I have a blog post that I wrote years ago. Um it was it was like in it's in quotes, I'm so proud of you. So it was a discussion about when about how when we feel pride, mm-hmm. it's we're taking credit yes. for something that they've done like we had an effect on it, right? And we can be, you know, for me, it was, I would rather, I, I think, and and say, I'm so excited for you, because I know this was something you were wanting to, and I love that you accomplished something that you were wanting to do. And you know what the funniest yeah. thing is, this is
1: one of the pages on my website with the most hits. <laughs> it doesn't surprise me. I think, yeah, actually taking delight for somebody else uh, takes it away from them, whereas being delighted yeah. that you have got this, and you have done this, and and it was what you wanted. That's just so affirming. I love that. It, it's
0: a big, it's a big step, <laughs> and it's so worth thinking about. Everyone, <laughs> <laughs>
1: absolutely.
0: Now, looking back, what has been the most valuable outcome from choosing
1: unschooling for you? Um, I think the biggest thing that is that if you relate to your children as autonomous creators of their own stories and people you can pool creativity with that relationship goes on throughout life so the most valuable thing for me has been these ongoing relationships of trust and support which are now with a group of young adults who are on all kinds of different journeys just the fact that that goes on and on and develops and you know, the excitement that it's now developing with a, a first grandchild. Absolutely amazing to have that much trust and support um, with these incredible young people. It's also given all of us the mindset that the whole of life is about learning. And that's really helpful, I think, in a world where flexibility is essential. For myself, it's meant not getting stuck in any role that's no longer working for me because I know I can change it. It's always possible. Um, so the benefits are just are ongoing. At the moment, um, as, as you said at the beginning, I'm shifting the balance of my own work from being largely editing for the press I set up to being more, again, about my own writing and sharing insights into writing and, and the writing life and the, the new blog on Medium. So unschooling has taught me I can make changes in my life at any age and that I will always have these amazing people in my life to share that with, that, you know, the creativity just goes on growing. I love that. And
0: what a shift, right? When we first start or choose unschooling, we think it's about our kids, but...
1: Absolutely (laughs) wrong. Yeah, it's about, you know, all of us together um
0: yeah yeah and and it's just it's about learning how to be a human being just embracing life it's it's beautiful isn't
1: it absolutely i mean i think that that is the absolute crux of it that actually unschooling is exactly what it says on the can we don't need those school models we need we need to talk about how we live well um Mm -hmm. and we need to share that with the people most important in our lives and when we do that, the magic is extraordinary. Oh,
0: that's a perfect quote to end this on. The magic <laughs> is extraordinary. I love that so much, Jan. Uh, thank you so so much for taking the time. I know it's it's <laughs> taken us such a, a, a while to connect with both our rural internet. <laughs> but thank you so so much for taking the time to speak with me. I really enjoyed it. Thank uh, you pleasure thank you very much and before we go where's the best place for people to connect with you online
1: ah well at the moment the new medium blog which is um h- https dot, dot slash slash medium.com and it's just at jan fortune so um come and find me on medium and, and come and give your fingers some exercise with a little clapping button <laughs> My
0: absolutely i'll put this i'll put the link in the show notes and tip if you're on your desktop you can hold the clap button you can your <laughs> Just i know yeah. and you hold it it takes about 10 seconds but you can make it up to 50 i love it
1: Brilliant. <laughs> thanks so much and have a wonderful so day and you take care you do bye
0: I hope you found this episode helpful on your unschooling journey and be sure to check out the growing podcast archive. The conversations never go out of date. You can find more information about my books, the Living Joyfully Network online community, and the Childhood Redefined Unschooling Summit online course at my website, livingjoyfully.ca.